Hello, boys and girls. I'm Tom Hanks. Sorry if my voice sounds like shit. I just had the coronavirus. This is Pterodactyl, the official podcast of the Central Washington University Electric Vehicle Club. As you may know, as you may know, if you've ever seen the documentary called Who Killed the Electric Car, I have had my fair share of great fun in an electric car. In fact, I had a great little car back in the day called the RAV4 EV. Eh, I still have it. I was converting cars to electric when you were still in diapers. I mean, for some of you, that literally. I was also heavily involved, heavily, in the company AC Propulsion and they made the first motor for the original first original Tesla. So you could say that Elon Musk would not be possible without me. You could say he's my child. Many people consider me to be America's dad. And you students, you're stuck at home in your underwear, eating your Cheetos and burritos, going to college online, doing your part to stop the spread, doing your part to flatten the curve. As your movie dad, I wanted to let you know that we can get through this thing. We can survive. Rita and I are doing fine. Time is surely a peculiar thing, and memories are eventually the only possession we will ever own of time gone past. Today is the 50th anniversary of Earth Day. Another memory. Today will also become a memory, and this pandemic will as well. It will sink back into the sacred place of our memory, and we will call on it someday, years from now, reading a story to the grandchildren or telling another story on another podcast. I wish, I truly do wish, that I could see all of your bright and shiny faces to hold on to you and to let you know that everything will be okay, that the universe will unfold as it should, because by golly, well, today, being that it's indeed Earth Day, it is a time to remember that climate change is no less of a threat to us as a species as it was yesterday, before the breakout of this remarkable virus. One of the biggest things that you can do to say that you've had enough is to trade out your fossil fuel vehicle for an electric car. As I can attest, they are fun to drive, and they are better technology. I mean, you can get a, a, a ticket going down the PCB. And so, this is my ode to the electric vehicle. This is my song of the future. This is a song of my hope. You young ones are the future. The future looks so bright, so lovely. So drive on, young people. Love, Tom Hanks. So here's the story. The Electric Vehicle Club at Central Washington University usually meets Mondays at noon in Hogue Hall on the second floor of our university campus, but... Uh, during this period of social distancing and quarantine, we can't. So we've taken all of our meetings online, and we're gonna try out a podcast because we gotta do something 
can't just sit on our hands. Welcome to Pterodactyl, the official podcast of the Central Washington University Electric Vehicle Club. My name is Galen O'Connor, and I'm the club president. Electric vehicles, also known as EVs, and that's an acronym that you're going to hear a lot in the coming days. They're going to take over the world, and they've already started. Oh my god, have you even heard of Tesla? Boomer. But that company is just the tip of the iceberg here. I mean, we're talking about Rivian and Bollinger and Aptera and Sono Motors, Scion and First Light and Lightyear One. And, oh, wow. There are a lot of EVs coming out this year. We got to be prepared. But hey, it's not just the new cars that we have to be prepared for. It's the future. Things change. Things change all the time. And sometimes we're not just unprepared. We're woefully unprepared for it. And we got this big, big death clock in the human species right now. It's called climate change. And we're not ready for it. And we have to be ready for it. Climate change is a type of change. And it's one that we caused. But a lot of people feel like it's out of their control. They feel like the world might be shitty because of them. Well, I have something to say to you. Even if the world is fucked up because of what you've done, you have the control to change it. There are many things that all of us can do to make this world a little bit better for tomorrow and the next day. There are so many things that all of us can do. And one of the big, big things that we can start doing right now is driving electric. The Central Washington University Electric Vehicle Club is a college campus chapter of the Electric Auto Association. And this text is pulled directly from their website. The Electric Auto Association was formed in 1967 by Walter Lasky in San Jose, California. In the 1970s, two separate gas shortages gripped the country, one propelled by an oil embargo imposed by Arab states. Long lines of the gas pumps, alternate fueling days, frustrating and angered many. Some Silicon Valley, California engineers decided that gas engines had to go. The association grew in response. Sharing the knowledge of converting gas cars to electric helped put more electric vehicles on the road. Those early advocates wanted to create public awareness with the goal of influencing policies to reduce dependence on foreign oil. They also understood from an engineering perspective that electric cars are simply a better technology. Our first chapter was in Silicon Valley, California. But more recently, air quality and climate change concerns have come into sharp focus. With transportation representing over 50% of greenhouse gas emissions, clean-fueled electric vehicles go a long way towards creating a better future. 
We work with schools, universities, businesses, healthcare groups, and governmental agencies to educate about the role that EVs play in combating climate change and improving air quality. Today, in the modern era of electrification of vehicles, we have many choices of production electric cars. Yet, the public is largely unaware of the benefits. We exist today to change that picture. Our message is a simple one. EVs are quicker, cleaner, safer, and cheaper to own and operate than gas cars, which are powered by petroleum derivatives that, when burned, emit noxious gases into the environment. EVs are simply a better technology. And they are fun to drive. As EV owner educators, we turn up at events with our cars to talk one-on-one -on -one with consumers. Since using electricity to power a car is a new technology for most people, the validation by an existing EV driver is powerful. National Drive Electric Week, Drive Electric Earth Day, auto shows, farmers markets, and electric driveway parties are just some of these outreach events that we organize. Since studies show that new technologies are best sold by word of mouth, every one of our EV owner educators is making a huge difference in creating a better future. And you, you, can be a part of it. If you are a student, staff, faculty, or alumni of Central Washington University or any of its extension satellite online centers, go to centralev.org and click on join us because we want you. And guess what? We don't just show up at events with electric cars and talk about them. We influence public policy. This podcast is an educational and informational tool for us to let you know about what is out there in the world of electric vehicles. I bet you had no idea that the Electric Auto Association started in 1967. I bet you had no idea. And we're going to talk a lot more about what the world of electric vehicles is. Toast. 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 My name's Chase Dolan. I'm from L.A. That would be Chase Dolan, the secretary of the Electric Vehicle Club. Um, I've been a, an automobile enthusiast my entire life, and I've been working on cars since I was about 16. You know, believe it or not, that's like over a decade now. I wanted to be like on the cutting edge of the industry. You know, I don't want to be in an industry that is kind of like obsolete in my opinion field that's growing and where i would feel like i'm actually making some kind of a difference for the like environment and for not only that but electric cars can do really badass things on the drag strip on racetracks pretty much everything that's how i originally got into electric vehicles However, I haven't got I haven't worked on any. 
So that's where I wanted to jump into this group, get a feel for for what it takes to actually put one of these things together. And I really, really appreciate your your involvement. You've really jumped in really quickly and really effectively into the role. And I know that it is frustrating sometimes to not actually have a garage where we're working on cars all the time, which is what I really wanted to do. <laughs> I mean, but unfortunately, I have to be one of the ones who creates that out of, out of what is nothing right now. Mm. How do you feel about that? That's definitely a big hurdle as far as not having any established presence on campus and having these projects that I assume kind of belong more to the engineering department than than us kind of, right? Like those two, one, the kit car, and it was one other thing, wasn't it? So the Electrothon America vehicles, one of them is a kit car and the other one is an entirely student-designed project. And the individual projects are the auspices of the MET program, the Mechanical Engineering Technology Program. The cars themselves, yes, they do belong to the MET, but our club started this Electrothon program back mm-hmm. in 2007. So okay. they are technically our vehicles. Oh, that's cool. And the faculty advisor is an MET professor, Pringle. Charles Pringle, and we are also an MET club. Right. Uh, we're an academic club, even though as an electric vehicle club, we need students from all disciplines. The racing team, my idea is that we might want to enter it in as a sports club, but that is going to be super complicated because we're like, what we used to be was just the racing team. That's all we were. And then this year we entered into the Electric Auto Association to be advocates for electric vehicles, to be educators of electric vehicles and electric vehicle technology. And the mission of the the Electric Auto Association is to get more people driving electric. That's, That's been its mission since 1967. And in 67, not a whole lot of people had ever heard the word climate change. In fact, we had to wait until a satellite took a picture of Venus before we discovered what greenhouse gases were. And on Venus, we saw the extreme of what could happen with a runaway greenhouse gas effect. Those gases on Venus have been churning away the atmosphere for the thousands, millennia, for so many years. That's what it could look like if man-made climate change doesn't stop. Mm. And we could look like Venus, even though we're some, this, this much closer to the sun. And then over the years, over the decades that the Electric Auto Association has existed, climate change has become more the primary focus rather than just making a better technology. In 1967, this is the future where we are editing the podcast. He meant to say the 1980s. The idea was to combat the the oil embargo, you know, Mm. to to combat OPEC and to say we have another source of energy 
that isn't from this thing that's dug up out of the ground. Uh, I don't know right. if, you, if you knew this, but Thomas Edison actually said, you know, hey, <laughs> drive an electric vehicle, drive solar. You know, you can you can put a solar panel, uh, hook it up to your electric vehicle, and then you you won't need to to waste this toxic substance into the air, and who knows what happens, you know. Mm. And it, there's also the issue of industries like in L.A. at the turn of the 20th century, our trains were electric, our there were electric cars, and what happened was the public transport, the buses, I think, were electric. They bought, the oil industry basically bought these public utilities and shut them down completely. And that's, you know, now it's 20 million people in the greater Los Angeles area. Can you imagine if that had, if we had continued along that line of getting things in a more cleaner way for example solar or right now they're doing really good water turbine technology that i've seen things like that even though there's no water in la so that's a different issue but i i'm very interested in micro turbine technology do you, do you know what a micro turbine is um not exactly a micro turbine micro river turbine is this unit that's about about the size of, I'll say, a, a Nissan Leaf engine unit, which includes the electric motor, the inverter, the controller, the and the charger. The whole the whole shebang is just bolted together in one unit. It's about that size. You deploy it into a river, and it 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 generates electricity. It's it's very small. It's very simple. The effectiveness of it, or I'll say the difference between this technology and other river turbines is that in the past, river turbines, you've had to float them on the surface and the river has to go horizontally across these giant blades. And you're counting on the kinetic momentum of the river itself. But what these mm -hmm. micro river turbines do this guy out in India invented this simple method where you just you tilt the back up and the gravity will take that water and it'll create even more momentum. You can get electricity from a micro river turbine on something as as small as that little canal on campus. Not the not the Ganges, but the little one, mm -hmm. you know, next to uh, Alder Street. That little right. tiny one that goes under the, that one you can you can get electricity from, and I've I've seen YouTube videos of somebody powering a sixty watt light bulb off of that. You and know. from what I understand, they don't disrupt the water flow. It's great. And you've if you had a system of them in series, you could get a whole bunch of turbines powering something like a a, a power bank. Or a mega bank, or I, I believe Tesla calls theirs mega packs, right? Those are uh, the steps above power walls, which is both of those terms are trademarked, but power bank is the non trademarked term. You could essentially power a big battery, that battery stores electricity, and then it sends it to the grid 
when when it's gotten enough. That's that's just a, a really simple technology to deploy in in everywhere. You know, you're not relying just on solar, just on wind, or just on hydro. You're doing it all. And if you deploy all of these technologies, you can get the entire grid off of coal, off of natural gas. You don't need that giant-ass natural gas uh, power facility that they're talking about. That doesn't need to happen. You just get mm-hmm. these, these little ingenious engineering projects, and you can save the world that way. It's, it's so simple. And my guess is that it's going to be less expensive to do that. But binary bureaucratic minds, they want one large thing as a construction project to say, we're keeping the economy alive, we're hiring contractors, we're doing it the same traditional way as it's always been done, and this is what happens. We're creating a natural gas plant. Hmm. We're creating a, a coal fire plant. And it's that, it's that binary bureaucratic mind that we need to get past. We need to, we need to get into the idea of vehicle to grid, of multiple small micro sources of energy that will create a large grid if you tie them all together successfully and create the right computer algorithms to actually manage them all, Mm -hmm. right? I thought Uh, I had this idea just now um, that you were saying that, and I know that this is not gonna actually uh, equal, uh, what is it when a when a machine has unlimited momentum uh perpetual perpetual motion. motion exactly so you have the water traveling from a higher level to a lower level and that gravity would create uh the ability to run electric turbines or micro turbines and then you have some kind of siphon system bringing the water back to the top where it wouldn't require very much energy to get it back up there. And then, you know, you have a a kind of a circuit of water creating electricity. It's kind of an idea. Yeah. That's a, that's actually um, uh, out in Wales and Scotland. They do do this Mm. on a really, really large scale. They've got giant lakes up at the top and giant lakes down at the bottom and the water at top falls through the turbine very similar to the grand coulee dam turbines and it generates electricity it falls into the bottom and then it gets pumped up back through the same tube and stored at the top when it needs to fall down again Hmm. and it's uh it's a very simple process when i say simple the machinery behind it is pretty big and pretty complex but the process is simple it's not perpetual energy because you still have to expel energy getting that water back up the hill back up yeah even if you had some sort of system like the aztecs or the romans used to have where they were able to get water uphill without the use of electricity they Mm -hmm. used the momentum of gravity the way the aztecs did it was they angled these stone pavers down, but 
they had these downward angled pavers placed slightly above the next downward angled paver. And so it'd be a system of stairs, basically. Each step was angled down, so the water would fall down and then splash up to the next stair, fall down, splash up, fall down, splash up, fall down, splash up. But even with this, it's still not perpetual because you still have to dam it up at the top to wait for the rest of the water to fall back into the uphill lake. And then you run the water through the turbine and then you can't, you, you have to dam up the steps. You can't just refill the upward lake as the water is falling down. You have to wait for all the water to fall down in order to open up that other dam and let mm. the water back into the upward lake, if all that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's always a catch, you know, that makes it not quite as efficient as you would think. Yeah, because if you actually did that without the dams, the energy you'd be getting from that is probably like a couple of light bulbs because it might not even barely turn the turbine because it'd be a trickle as opposed to the whole torrent of water that you're going to get through. Right. You could conceivably, I guess, you could introduce a bunch more water, but I don't know how how you'd be able to introduce all that water in order to get the whole thing happening all at once. But right. once once you shut the dam off in order to do repairs on the system, that'd be too much water. It'd fall over the sides and disappear. So... What about this? In a place that's really hot, like the desert, for example, you could use the power of the sun to convert the water into steam at the bottom. And then somehow the steam will travel back up to the top through pipes and be condensed at that end. That is, that is a, a form of energy generation that already exists. Mm. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's okay. I have a friend who invented some way to wake, make water in the desert. He's like drawing water molecules out of the air or something like that. And I'm like, man, this shit is crazy. Yeah, it's kind of like an ion drive. How in, in space, you've got basically just space itself, the particles in space itself. And you're taking what's in space and using those particles to get get you along you're using just things that are in front of you to to basically grab on and pull but by eye on a track it's really weird i know it's it's like this is why i'm getting into math right now and i can barely see the applicability of like pre-calc in the real world and to get to that level of like being able to apply it to like propulsion and stuff. It's just, I mean, I'm, I'm in for a really big trip the next couple of years here. So the problem with, with people saying they, 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 they first get into electric vehicles and somebody says, Oh, well, what, what happens if I put a solar panel on the roof? Would I be able to drive forever? No, you have to stop. And it takes 13 hours to recharge a vehicle just from solar. There are cars with solar on them, but it takes 13 full hours to recharge. And that... If the sun is fully shining, right? Yeah. 
Well, sometimes, you know. Does it respond to UV if the sun clouds are out? Or? If, if clouds are out, solar panels will perform less mm -hmm. effective if it's cloudy. I'm, I want to actually learn how to do solar arrays. That would be cool. But you're still getting... Uh, the, the reason why you want to put batteries when you get solar is so that the solar will fill the battery during the day. Even if it's cloudy out, that battery can power your whole house through the night. And then when the sun comes back up, your battery gets refilled. Right? Also, having batteries on, on your solar panels means that when the power goes out, your solar panels are still creating electricity. But you need, in order for that to work, you need three phase hooked up to your house and you need an overfill battery, a small overfill battery as well. Um, or, or you could figure out how much you're refilling based on where you live and then fit a bigger battery pack eventually, right? If uh, and not need an overfill at that point. Ah, no, because this is a good question. You don't, what, what you would have to do if you wanted to keep the single battery is that you have to partition part of that first battery off. Does that make sense? Um, yeah. It's so that you have a complete, so a complete circuit. Okay. So it's, a, it's more about each step of the circuit than it is about capacity. Right. It's about having a, a complete circuit. Essentially, it's not just having a second battery that's important. It's also having, I don't call it a ground, I call it the second phase. I, I'm not an electrical engineer, which is a, which is a problem because everyone else is. <laughs> what are you going to do? Actually, yeah. we need people, we actually need people who understand all this shit so that they can be go into politics and apply it to policy and stuff. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So mm -hmm. there's that. Actually, on our club's Twitter, I don't know if you have Twitter, but we're being followed by some very effective UK politicians who are all into solar and electric vehicles. And in Ireland, the member of the parliament in Dublin, some very, very interesting politicians over in Europe. Because the thing about solar and electric vehicles in Europe versus the United States and Australia, I should say. In the United States and Australia, energy is a political issue and climate change is a political issue, which means that if one party is about climate change, then the other party is against climate change as a concept, right? Whereas in Europe and the UK, everyone understands it's not about politics, climate, like say, telling somebody in Europe that in the United States, Republicans and Democrats are on two sides of this issue is very strange to a European because in Europe, everyone understands the imminent danger of climate change. Everyone understands that we need better solutions we need electric vehicles we need better technology and everyone understands that the only reason that things might not get done quickly is because the oil lobby has a lot of money and unfortunately they still do have corruption but corruption exists differently there than it does here right
Mm-hmm. Corruption exists on both sides of the political aisle in the United States. But essentially what you have in the United States is that the corruption, like the corrupt lobby, will pay off one party only rather than both parties. Yeah. <laughs> right? Whereas in Europe, they pay off people from both sides of the aisle. So it remains a non-political issue, right? Yeah. Also, over in, over in the UK, you don't vote for the candidate one or the other. You vote for the party, and you don't say, I want this party. You say, this is my first preference. This is my second preference. This is my third preference. And then you go down that list telling people your preferences. Mm. And whoever gets the most number ones becomes the party in power. But all of the other parties on that list, they get the percentage of seats in your county that they got voted. So you're not voting for one person. You're voting for everybody, and if somebody gets 50%, then they're going to have 50% representation in, in that county or in that state, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, it makes more sense than our system, for sure. It's not like two senators from Washington say... You're going to have five Democratic senators, five Republican senators. You're going to have one Green Party senator and one Communist Party senator and one. And they're all from Washington. That's effectively how it works in the UK. Hmm. Yeah. And so they would be working things out amongst themselves in a certain extent, but they would have certain weight based on how many of them there are. Yeah. Yeah, essentially, that's, that's, that's how it functions out there. That's cool. I think that 13 hours charging a car by solar would be really cool. I don't know how many solar panels that car had, but I do know that Hyundai, their new Sonata hybrid, it has solar panels on the roof, and they claim two miles a day. It's something. It's over 365 days, I guess you'd get a whole nother range cycle out of it. Imagine you're working somewhere like Arizona and it's very sunny and it's sunny for a long time. Effectively, your car in the parking lot of your office building is fully charged when you go back out to it. You haven't plugged it in. You haven't recharged it. You just parked it. And since, since it's only like even in even in the Pacific Northwest here, where on the west side of the mountains it's very cloudy, uh, out here in Ellensburg not so much, but even on the west side of the mountains where it's very cloudy, in Seattle, in Bellingham even, most people drive only 30 miles a day. So you're only using, what, 5% of, of your battery, 15%, however much percent. It's not 100 is the idea. You could also effectively have your car fully recharged when you go back out to it, even if it's cloudy. Yeah. Because you haven't driven the whole range. 
and then e- most of them like a, maybe a third or a fourth of the range you know even yeah yeah so that 13 hour recharge time that's called the light year one light year is the name of the of the company and then the light year one is the model and then and then the other one is s-o-n-o sono motors and then it's called the scion but it's s-i-o-n not s-c-i-o-n like saturn's car interesting because i because i always thought that there was more of a potential to put those on electric cars i think one of the priuses has it too i don't know exactly how effective it is but imagine having a house in ellensburg and doing solar and wind if you had the little couple windmills in your yard and solar i mean and then you could sell your energy to the grid probably pay for itself within a couple years you read that email that i sent out with the updates to the club was this this last week this was last night i think so in that in that email that i sent out to the club one of the things that i said was that at Revolution Digital on Tuesday morning, our time was 5 a.m., but over in Amsterdam, it was 2 p.m. At Revolution Digital, which was a web conference from uh, electric vehicle charging companies in Amsterdam, several of them, EV Box runs the conference, but at this conference, there was also a Lego and Charge Point. During this conference, I made a connection with Saz Perez, I believe is how you pronounce his name, and Saas is the CEO of iSun Solar up in Canada. And they actually make a solar car port. Mm. Unfortunately, their solar car ports are grid tied. But we could work with that. And I'm going to ask him if we could put a bank of batteries right next to the solar car port where instead of going directly to the grid, it goes to the batteries and then the batteries charge the cars mm-hmm. first before they go to to the grid, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So you'd need some badass batteries and then figure out what restrictions there are on the, the batteries of the receiving cars to know how much current you can flow Well, every manufactured electric vehicle has something called an onboard charger. And the onboard charger communicates with the computer in the car to tell the car how much energy to take in, right? So even if you have a Porsche Taycan or a Tesla, even if the charger itself putting out, say, 100 kilowatts of electricity through that socket, your car will only take in what the computer is telling it to take in. And so the computer is telling it to take in 46 watts. And in a Tesla, what's so cool is that you can actually manually adjust how much energy your Tesla is taking in from that charger. And that means that some chargers actually charge you more if you go at a higher rate. But it might make the battery life lesser? Well, that's, that's not necessarily true. What makes the battery life lesser, if we're using this word, is when you get to 100% or down to 5% of, of the battery and you're constantly going up and down, it's, it's the amount of 
intercalation that happens. It's not necessarily the speed of intercalation. Mm, okay. Right. The amount of charges, the amount of charge cycles that a battery can do is the only well, thing that really matters then? If effectively, it's how many ions are passing through that barrier, right? How many physical ions are going through? Charging it faster doesn't necessarily put more ions through. I don't believe that charging a battery faster will make the dendrites grow faster. I could be wrong. I, I could be completely wrong about that, but from what I've read, I don't believe that's the case. Okay. So these chargers can do anywhere up to, what was it that I read? 320 kilowatt taken, stands out for its advanced fast charging capabilities. High speed chargers can add 60 miles in four minutes, but it's not saying how much those things crank out this is a question that i'm going to actually ask a battery engineer though well i'd like to learn this stuff and i'm i'm thankful that you're kind of helping me wrap my head around some of the info here i would like to get into electrical engineering probably because my my friend wants me to do mechanical because he's like an evil genius kind of he's the one that i was telling you about that was like harvesting water now he wants to make gasoline which is like Gross. completely against Gross. our <laughs> yeah against our mo here <laughs> but uh but now i'm thinking that i don't want to do mechanical because i want to design like circuits and stuff like that but you can still do what and as i was saying on the email i'm a political science student and of course not being in the engineering program i don't feel bad when i don't know an engineering concept i just know the basics of it but you don't have to change your major to be in this club or mm -hmm. to do something on an electric vehicle if you really truly feel like this is the best course for your life. And what I have done is I've entered into the environmental studies minor. And that's an idea is that you can always minor in something, but you don't necessarily need a new degree in order to learn a new skill. You can, you can still learn the same concepts and you'll still have an engineering degree at the end of it. It's just whether or not your engineering degree is electrical or mechanical. And if you have an electrical engineering degree, you're going to get offered different jobs. You're going to be qualified for different jobs. So it's all about what's the job that you want at the end of it. Right. I, and I think that hearing about solar and wind and stuff, like it makes me want to do something with that stuff. But I do know someone who just got a mechanical engineering degree from Central and she already has a job lined up with like a renewable energy company, which I thought was cool because I didn't even know if Central's engineering program was on the same par as say like UW, who is like one of the top 21 engineering programs right now. I didn't know if employers would care about the, the technology being stamped on the end of our thing. That depends on the employer. That depends on the hiring manager. A lot of hiring managers are idiots and all they look at is what school you went to. The more intelligent hiring managers are the ones who say, what can you do? Show me what you can do. Elon Musk, he had a hiring event for SpaceX and he invited everyone down to this place next to the airfield and he says, come show me what you can do. And they hired like 100 people in a day that way. And he said, I don't care if you have, 
I don't even care if you have a high school degree. Just show me what you can do. There are companies out there that do that. Unfortunately, they're rare, right? Mm -hmm. But that puts the onus on you and not what GPA you got, what school you went to. It, it, It puts the onus on the skills that you've learned along the way. And I know a guy who never went through an engineering program and he now works for a boat builders as one of the main CAD design engineers for that boat builders yard. And they do one-off projects all the time, you know, which is a specialty skill, right? A lot of engineers working in CAD, they have to create something that's replicatable over many, many times, right? Whereas a boat builder's CAD engineer is going to be working in things that are specifically for that vessel. So you have to know a lot more about the concepts. And all he has is a high school degree, right? Jehu Garcia has created his semi-battery empire down in California. He's also a YouTuber. He never graduated high school. He got his GED later in life. That's Yeah, that's awesome. I definitely like the idea of going through a certain sequence of classes to learn something, but the reality is, is like people have more spare time than they think, especially when it's winter and you don't want to go outside and all that. I just need to learn coding on the side or control systems, but still be able to do the automotive related stuff of mechanical, which would you know be like a mix of two engineering styles. Yeah. And that's why I really want to create the EV 101 program in the curriculum here. And even if it's not on the curriculum, we should still create an EV 101 for the community here. We're going to operate the EV 101 program out of the garage, the same garage that we're going to work on our cars, right? And that means that the whole community is going to start learning about electric vehicles. We're going to take it, model it off of several other uh, electric vehicle courses around the world. New Electric in Ireland does electric vehicle conversion classes. EV4U does electric vehicle conversion classes down in California. And Ron Grosinger over at Bergen Community College, he does an EV 101 course And he opens it up to members of the community. And it's more than just about the mechanics of it, as as we were saying. It's about programming a motor. It's about what series versus parallel means. What 2S4P, what does that that create? Well, that creates 7.4 volts. How do you know that? Well, two series, four parallel. And... You have to say how much is each individual cell and how many amps is coming out of that cell. What's your current, what's your volts, what's your, and then you come out at the end of your Ohm's law and you say, ah, 7.4 volts from 2S4P, right? But you can also have 2S4P at 40 volts because that 2s4p is a method of laying out battery cells on a map and that definitely for battery people is a big part of electric vehicles right and batteries are a big part of electric vehicles but 
having a general knowledge of how an electric vehicle works versus having specific knowledge of how individual parts work. I compare that to somebody working at Ford and the only thing they do at Ford is work on rubber chemistries for tires or work on axle dimensions, different types of lubricant to put in the axle. We mm -hmm. haven't had a whole lot of advances in lubricant technology over the years. Lubricant has pretty much remained the same. It's gotten a little bit better with microbeading technology, but there is still somebody at Ford who all they do is work on lubricant, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're converting your own vehicle to electric, you're going to have to get a crash course in every single part of the vehicle. You're not just going to have to learn what goes into an electric vehicle, but like myself, you have to learn what to take off. So you have to learn the name of that part that you're taking off so that you don't take off a part that you should keep. So I learned what a catalytic converter is and what a manifold is. I'd heard people say those names before, but I didn't know that they were both part of the exhaust system. Right? Mm -hmm. And then the muffler at the back, all these little parts. Even then, you don't necessarily need to know the name of it. You need to know what it does. There's this thing that I call the spinny thing <laughs> that goes off of the transmission and i know where that is i know what it does but mm -hmm. i just call it the spinny thing well there's pulleys on one side and then there's the flywheel on the other side <laughs> so there's lots of spinny things going on there. but it's a big long spinny thing <laughs> yeah but i think you're talking about the output shaft you know one of the things we're probably going to have to deal with the most i think that's what the whole adapter plate does is it makes it you'd have to uh, find something to put on the, the input shaft of the transmission so that those may so that's that's the coupler the adapter plate is simply the sheet of metal that you bolt the the motor on to the bell housing with so the adapter mm -hmm. plate all it is is just a, a place for you to bolt it onto the coupler is what couples the shaft of the the uh, inside the bell housing and then the yeah. shaft that yeah. comes out the end of the electric motor. That's, that's, that's what makes that spin is that coupler. So there is in every conversion project a custom coupler that has to be created unless it's a common conversion like mm -hmm. a Porsche 911 using a Tesla motor. That has been done quite a few times in this niche community so there are places that sell couplers pre-made like ev west sells one of those couplers you can buy it they've got 15 of them on the shelf because they know that somebody's going to come in in the future with a porsche 911 and they're going to want to test the motor but for something like our project uh 1990 volvo 240 dl with a possibly a nissan leaf traction motor Mm -hmm. there may not be that part in existence so we have to create it ourselves it's it's not that hard you just have to get a, a steel manufacturer or a steel founder to to create that coupler
yeah. or a steel printer. And it doesn't have to be steel. It can be titanium. <laughs> Koenigsegg likes to use a lot of carbon fiber in his stuff. Yeah, that's that guy's, those cars are awesome. And then this is what the Tesla motor looks like without the whole battery on it. This is the art the large drive unit here open image and new tab and that seems almost like it would be easier to to make work than the nissan leaf motor just because we wouldn't have to mess around with the coupler or the adapter plate we would basically just drop the subframe in the rear of the volvo and cnc adapters for each of these giant bushings that you see at the back yeah, then then we'd have to take our whole transmission off, mm-hmm. which is which is fine. We could do that, but this unit right here with the subframe, because this this part here, this drum on the left side, this drum on the right side, and this thing in the center, that is the motor. The rest of it is called the subframe. These are actually the wheels right here. Right, the hubs. Right, but. This whole thing together is somewhere around eight thousand dollars. Yeah, this, or this motor, this motor itself is around two thousand dollars, and then the Nissan Leaf motor, which is one hundred five horsepower, is is not gonna win a whole lot of races, but it'll it'll get us going is only 450 bucks mm-hmm. and that's the difference right do we want to actually have a vehicle that moves or do we want to have a vehicle with a tesla motor well i think that it would definitely lower the weight just gutting it and it would probably be okay with 105 horsepower uh if it you know didn't have anything in it so are you saying taking the transmission off um just like every anything in the interior maybe lighten the wheels and the rear seats any unnecessary electronics everything in the engine bay all that stuff would would definitely make it move if it had 105 instantaneous torques pretty much you know yeah that's that's the idea anyways is to take all the all the excess weight out to to get the good times but then the other thing is that if we ever decide to get a, another car and the thing about conversion projects is that you never have enough. It's, it's a very addicting thing to convert vehicles. In this car, we want to be able to one day say, Hey, we're done racing this. We've road tested it essentially. And now we want to donate, donate this vehicle to lads. So it's going to go back in as a vehicle and then it's going to go into a, a low-income driver's family. And then they're going to use it as a road-legal vehicle. So we want to be able to keep all of all of the stuff that we take off. We don't want to damage the seats when we're taking them out of the vehicle. We want to keep them in a corner of the garage until the day that we say, we're retiring this as a racing vehicle. It is now going back into the world as a daily driver. Mm-hmm. Right. And then we get another electric vehicle or we get another gas vehicle, we convert it to electric. We use that car as our instruction car while we're converting it on how to convert a vehicle to electric. And then that becomes our racing car. That's one idea. Another idea is just to to leave that Volvo as our racing car. And it doesn't matter what happens 
to all the stuff that we took out because it's a badass racing vehicle. And then the race, the, the, the vehicles for lads or for other community projects, we work on those separately. And I feel like we'd eventually need to do a roll cage, wouldn't we? Uh, well, no, we, we'd have to do a roll cage for certain circuits. It's required. Yeah. And definitely for insurance purposes as well. That's a little bit more weight that we'd have to factor in. There are lightweight composite alloys that you can use as a roll cage. It doesn't necessarily have to be a huge weight. It just needs to be able to take and uh, distribute the force of impact so that you're, you're not crushed in that vehicle. But then if we're installing a roll cage, we have to anticipate that body panels are going to get wrecked in whatever collision that needs a roll cage. Well, we're going to have to have basically a spare part of every single part that's on the vehicle. So basically another Volvo in spare parts and when we get to that point, well, then we're a racing team, right? We're a real racing team. In the beginning, I don't think we should be doing a whole lot of circuits where <laughs> we think that we're actually going to roll, you know, mm -hmm. because we don't have the money for those parts. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So we definitely need sponsors, right? Yeah. And we need, uh, to try to drum up some other ways of money. I was thinking, you know, I'm going to talk about this briefly in the meeting tomorrow, but um, we could do bake sale. I could have, I could make, bake a bunch of stuff. My girlfriend's good at baking. She could teach me how to do it. And then we could do that on campus. Maybe sometime when, when things get better, maybe in the fall. You want to do a bake sale? You know, EV bake sale. We could do like some cool posters or something. I don't know. I want to make a cake in the shape of a car boom now the ideas are flowing are you gonna send it to orbit the earth too we need to uh do a car wash <laughs> a freaking bikini car wash like in dodgeball have you seen that movie i'd wear a bikini <laughs> <laughs> anyways <laughs> some more ways we gotta have the whole group brainstorm with us because that's uh, racing's expensive, and then we got to think about the garage and how we're going to work on the car. So, for those of you listening, one way that we can actually raise money is if you donate to the Electric Vehicle Club. And this is a great opportunity to go to our website, click on donate, and donate. <laughs> what that will do is it will take you to the Electric Auto Association website hopefully our button will be fully operational at that point and what you're going to do is you're going to choose one dollar five dollars a million dollars and you're gonna put it in that little thing with your credit and your debit number and then you're going to say give this money to this chapter of the Electric Auto Association. We are called the Central Washington University Electric Auto Association. I am once again asking for your support. <laughs> I actually went to the Bernie rally in Tacoma. That's yeah. good. I heard it was uh, a huge one with 70,000 people. 
a bunch of people there, not 70, I don't think. I think it was like 20,000. Oh, yeah. But I'm it, fudging the numbers. Every time he said Wall Street billionaires, people would boo. And that was that was an interesting event. It was my first political rally. I'm not used to people booing, you know? It's weird. Yeah. But, you know, I think that billionaires, unless they're, I don't know, it's, it's going into a whole thing I'd rather not do on a podcast because it's polarizing, you know what I mean? <laughs> mm, mm. Musk is a billionaire, Elon Musk. You can't say anything bad. You can't say anything bad about Elon Musk because he's our, our our savior. <laughs> he he's definitely good, um, but you know I would. He's from some questionable foundations in the South African uh, society. So, so but African. that's the only thing. Sorry, what? No, oh, I said South African. He's, he's <laughs> yeah. Is uh, Africana, but sounds like. Is, it almost it, sounds like Australian or something. Is is not an African, but he's um, he's from uh, Johannesburg, I think, right? Yeah. Johannesburg. <laughs> <Bri. laughs> and then, and then uh, there's like a whole different language there that's like Dutch and Afrikaans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That sounds all weird. And then, have you ever heard that uh, band? from down there yep what's it yeah. called again uh aunt uh aunt aunt uh aunt aunt something god damn aunt uh would enter the ninja the aunt would there we go yeah <laughs> that band is so cool <laughs> let, me, let me put that on for our podcast listeners we'll be like npr and play clips oh, of songs here oh uh, we can't we can't uh, <laughs> uh on a podcast you have to have uh you have to have permission from the artist to play their song uh, or or else they'll sue us yeah unless well, that's we're... honestly good because some people will just use your like music for negative political affiliations and stuff like that and rallies and stuff so it's almost like a blessing and a curse yeah, fair use is only if you're like talking about the song. You're educating somebody using the song as an educational tool or you're doing a parody of the song or you're actually talking about the song the whole time. You can't actually just play a song without paying for it. The Antwood is a lot of money. I tried to use it on my old podcast and <laughs> I don't I don't have that money. So Yeah, I, damn. Yeah. It's a crazy world we live in right now. I got to be careful. What are your most aspirational ideas of this club? What is the sky for us? I want to go to SEMA Auto Convention in Las Vegas with, you know, ideally at least two cars that are for different purposes, almost like show quality products. And we could... I mean, if we can figure out the coding and all that stuff, then I get our cars to like perform. Then I bet you we could get more funding for vinyl wrapping the cars, wheels and making, you know, cause like racing wheels are like a couple thousand dollars. You're gonna have to buy tires all the time. I don't know. We just have to get the name out there a lot, I guess. And then apply for like big time grants and stuff. 
So I don't know. I mean, obviously our aspirations don't have to be too high considering the group was dead in 2016 and like we're just kind of kickstarting things right now. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the kind of stuff that I'd like to go into the job field being able to say like, man, I was a part of this thing and it was badass and Guy freaking founded the whole thing. And then we'll like, you know, we'll cruise around and like, I don't know, electric cars and stuff. I wouldn't necessarily say that I founded it. Um, I just brought it back. Right. And it's all of us. It's all of us. We, we have to all work together to get this thing, uh, you know, off the ground. And I think we're doing a good job. We're politically active as a club. Now we need to be mechanically inclined. On a side note that we were talking about last meeting, my cousin lives in Seattle and he's a programmer. I want to ask him, I just messaged him on Facebook because I lost his cell phone number somehow, but uh, he could maybe help us hack into the things, ethically hack into the uh, logic boards. So do you think maybe we're going to have one car as a racing car and one car as a show car? Is that the idea? Yeah, and, and, and also not only a show car, but I want to do like hypermiling and like see how much we can get or like what distance we can travel and stuff like that that would be cool do you want to use it as a test bed for experimental electric vehicle technology because we're a university or do you want to see it just using current technology um i mean obviously we should support other programs out there that are figuring these things out as well so yeah, I mean, we should definitely be open to to that sort of thing. I just wonder if we should get good at doing it in a more current context first so that we're better prepared to deal with some of the, well, it shouldn't be that much of a difference. I mean, if a battery performs, it performs. So definitely experimental stuff in that sense would be good to. What's a good date in your mind? when everyone is driving electric man it's already 2020 like but I, I would say that production of gas cars should end in the next five years 10 years max you know like a soft phase out aim for five and then do like crack down in those last five years i mean that just sounds so far-fetched we're not freaking like sweden or some Man, and that's why we need political people so badly. I wouldn't just say it's about politics. You know, the education aspect is important because people are afraid of the technology. Even, even with it being around for so long, people are still afraid of it because of these lies that have been spread by uh, certain companies who have vested interests in electric vehicles failing, not just lies, but you take one thing that happens badly and you magnify that message a thousand times where everyone in the world sees a video of a, of a Tesla catching on fire where nobody realizes that 2,000 Volkswagens caught on fire this year, you know, and that's just one company 
Mm-hmm. Right. If it, it's, it's, it's one compared to 2000. And then there's a car called the Vauxhall Astra, I want to say. And that just catches on fire for no reason. Oh, do they? But nobody talks about that because you expect a gasoline car to catch fire because it's got gasoline in it. But then when you see a video of a Tesla catching fire and two Teslas caught on fire this year, it's big news because, oh my God, they catch fire. Lithium ion is dangerous. It's a lot of fear. It's a lot of uncertainty and doubt, and that spells FUD, F-U-D. And it's not just a scare tactic used by um, ICE vehicle manufacturers or by this group called Tesla Q. They're dedicated to making the Tesla stock plummet. It's not just a method used by these groups. It's also a method used in other industries. Spreading fear, uncertainty, and doubt. It's called fomenting, right? You're fomenting the market to manipulate a stock in a certain direction, and then you're betting against that direction, right? Mm -hmm. So if you predict that a stock is going to fail, you spread a lot of negative news about that company, but you bet that the stock is going to fail. And then you make bank and the stock fails. It's technically illegal, but people do it anyways because it's really hard to catch. It's really hard to catch. You have to actually really, really be able to prove that it happens, right? And you have to actually have an oversight agency that wants to catch people doing it. And I don't think that right now you have that, right? So that's, that's a big part of it, spreading misinformation. And as a result of that, people are afraid. People say, oh my God, I'm never going to get an electric vehicle because those catch fire. And I picture, you know, someone somewhere like phoning in a news station being like, we got to get these Teslas on the news burning right now. We got to do it. And they're like some, you know, business person that has all these ties and is like pulling these strings and stuff that know like the news people too, or probably work for them. Who knows? Crazy. But I'm sure that's something that someone like Elon Musk, for example, has a whole team of people working on because he, because you have to anticipate this type of thing when you're going against all these people. So he's probably got a whole team of people working on counter propaganda Effectively, Tesla does not have a marketing wing. They don't. They don't have one person whose job it is, is to do marketing. Tesla does not pay for advertisements. Benjamin Sullins at a YouTube channel called Teslanomics, he did actually come up with a number of, of how much of a marketing plan Tesla has and that is that the company doesn't do any marketing, but the drivers, they all have YouTube channels called Teslanomics or Like Tesla or Now You Know Tesla Time News 
or Tesla this, uh, Tesla Raj. <laughs> and every one of the YouTube channels, they started out effectively as people who didn't know anything about Tesla. Then they bought one. They fell in love with the company, the, the technology, and they are now the marketing wing of Tesla. Right, the Tesla Owners Club, Tesla Seattle, Tesla San Diego, Tesla Owners Dallas, Tesla Owners Clubs, they're the marketing firms for Tesla. It's not Tesla. Tesla doesn't pay anything for advertisement. Doesn't, doesn't do any. It's the people who drive them who, who are the message. Yeah, that's genius. Because they make a good technology. That's it. It's a better technology than gasoline. And it's that simple. Yeah, it looks like a good design and everything. Yeah. I know that they've had issues with, you know, fit and finish of the exterior panels and all that stuff. But, I mean, you get that from some of the best automakers, too, in terms of panel gaps, not only on the outside, but I've noticed, like, on the inside, uh, growing up, my dad had an Acura, and it had a dashboard panel gap that was wrong. And, you know, obviously, Honda makes some ridiculous amount of motors. It was a great car, but little things just get goofed up. But I've noticed a lot of people saying that about Tesla, which is obviously a tiny company. Well, they're, a, they're now the, the largest stock portfolio of any technology company. They're, they're, they, may, they, they might seem tiny, but they're a huge impact on our world. Everyone knows the name now. All right. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, and they're going to probably go into like boats. They're probably going to go into like those little jet skis and off-road vehicles that he was driving on his presentation of the Cybertruck. They're going to capture the markets of Polaris and Yamaha and like watercraft and all these other territories of business probably in the next maybe even just five years you have to get a cyber truck to get the atv the atv is an add-on package right now you can't mm-hmm. buy the atv by itself so he wasn't necessarily or i should say tesla wasn't necessarily trying to compete with yamaha or polaris or john deere they're trying to compete with the f-150 and the the Dodge Ram and the Chevy Silverado. That's who they're competing with, with the Cybertruck. The ATV is an additional add-on package to that truck. And while yes, they are making ATV at this point, it's not going to be a competitor to other ATV companies. It's Mm. a kick in the ass. That's what it is. And maybe Cybertruck isn't going to be a huge competitor with Ford but they see it coming and hopefully it's a kick in the ass. That's what Tesla has been kicking other car companies in the ass to get them into the electric game. Have you watched who killed the electric car yet? No, but I um, have watched a documentary version of it on maybe it was the same one. That that is it. Who killed the electric small parts of it. Not the whole. I don't know if you have Amazon video account, but on our website, who killed the electric car is, is listed on that video page at the top. It's really an informative watch 
to see how GM and Toyota, they all made electric vehicles, but they made them as compliance cars. And the EV1 was the most successful of these electric vehicles. It was manufactured in California rather than in Detroit, but it was made by GM, the EV1. And it was a really successful vehicle. It was only in its in its pilot program, but they had sold a lot of these cars in California. And then a bunch of stuff happened and they wind up taking them all back because they didn't let anyone buy the car. They were only allowing people to lease the car at that point. They took all of them back and they crushed them. They took them to a, a boneyard or, well, to GM's proving ground in the desert and they crushed them. And the owners were holding, they had a funeral in 2003 for the EV1. And by 2004, there was only one EV1 left on the road and GM took it back. And then for the next couple of years, the EV1s were sitting in a lot. There were 75 of them left in this lot. And people had seen pictures of the other EV1s crushed. And this lot, the former owners, the EV1 club, they stood there holding candlelight vigils every night in, in protest. And they had to call the police out one day and arrest people so that GM could get in there and tow all the cars to the boneyard to have them crushed. Perfect, yeah. perfectly good vehicles. And I wonder now that you, you know, mentioned that, that huge event, if that's what they're doing with these hydrogen vehicles that they're only allowing for leases. At, uh, hydrogen was one of the suspects presented in the movie who killed the electric car as a culprit behind why the electric car died in 2006 right because most people saw that as the death of the electric car most people didn't realize tesla would come along but tesla did they said we know what to do now we're going to put laptop batteries in a lotus and we're going to make it into a company we're going to make an electric car company because we we can see people holding candlelight vigils but hydrogen the director of the california air resources board at the time when he made that decision a lot of people blamed him and then after he went and retired from the california air resources board the next employment that he got was with a hydrogen company a hydrogen motion company people say well, hydrogen, you can create hydrogen by burning gasoline or by burning uh, petrols to, to create hydrogen. That's one way that you get hydrogen. And that's a culprit behind why the electric car died is because even though there was no infrastructure for hydrogen, they said hydrogen is better and electric cars should die. Well, hydrogen, I think it's almost a victim of some similar things as that, that have happened to EVs in the sense that they're trying to ruin the, the feasibility of those vehicles and, or at least the impression 
of how good they are. But I haven't driven a hydrogen vehicle. And I think if you want to save the internal combustion engine, you know, just because we are at such a sweet spot with gasoline engines right now where you can have a lot of power and have relatively low emissions, we should transfer all of our focus. Obviously, we should transfer all of our focus to EVs, but any person that still wants to defend this internal combustion engine should get into that. Most of the hydrogen vehicles that are out there, they're using electric motors, but instead of using batteries to move the electric motors, they're using hydrogen fuel cells. Oh, so they're not burning hydrogen. In the engine. A fuel cell works by passing hydrogen f- through the anode of the fuel cell and oxygen through the cathode. At the cathode, the protons, electrons, and oxygen combine to produce water molecules. Due to their high efficiency, fuel cells are very clean, with their only byproducts being electricity, excess heat, and water. So the water that comes out of the tailpipe of a hydrogen vehicle is just a byproduct of creating the electricity. And that electricity is what powers the motor of a hydrogen vehicle. They've got a small fuel cell in the middle and an electric motor in the front, and then a DC-DC converter. I don't know what that is. Oh, a DC-DC converter, that, that it, it essentially it just, it just means you have a 12-volt battery system that powers most of the components in the car. Well, you need mm-hmm. to power the 12 volt battery using the big battery, but the big battery is putting out like 50 amps of power or however many amps of power. So you need to have uh, basically a little converter to take that massive amount of current and to reduce it to a 12 volt current to actually like send electricity to the, the 12 volt system. So the 12 volt battery still powers the rest of the stuff. Interesting. And in a lot of, in a lot of countries, a lot of States, there is still legally, you're still required to have a 12 volt battery in the car. That's Mm -hmm. why Nissan Leaf has a 12 volt battery is because it powers all the 12 volt system. But instead of having an alternator to power your 12 volt battery, you have a big giant battery to power your 12 volt battery. Interesting. But in hydrogen terms, you have a giant hydrogen fuel cell to power your 12 volt battery. It's like a, so it's kind of like a regulator. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Um, it's like a, it's a more advanced shunt. Think of it like that. Well, I've learned some stuff today for sure. And I hope I'm able to put it into a cohesive edit. Cause yeah, I know it's a little bit rambly. No, this is good. This is good. Um, I like the the natural uh, form of conversation because we hit on topics that most everybody is asking, right? If If I had written out a script for both of us, then we'd be talking about things that maybe nobody's interested in. But since we're interested in this stuff, it goes to say that other people are probably interested in this, these topics as well. Right. Yeah, definitely. Well, we can, if we can generate content by just talking, then that's going to be pretty easy to create content on podcasts. 
Pterodactyl is a program of the Central Washington University Electric Vehicle Club. My name is Galen O'Connor. I'm the club president. This episode was re-edited on Friday, May 8th. Visit our website at www.centralev.org and click on podcast to find this podcast in all its homes. Thank you very much for listening. Drive on, young people. Drive on.